How many of you enjoy shopping with your kids? <laughs> <What's>, <laughs> people are like, yeah, 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 when they were two and three years old. <clears throat> how, how many of you have... We'll use this as hypothetical. It's never happened to me. Um, <laughs> you're going through the aisles, and the kids are like, Dad, Dad, can we please get this? Can we please get this? It's like... No, you're only allowed to pick cereal from the front of the aisle because, you know, when you go in the aisle, there's like the rice puffs and then there's like the trail mix and the granola. But as you go down the aisle, have you ever noticed that it progresses from healthy to pretty much sugar-coated styrofoam? Now, where do the kids want to go all the time, right? You know, Dad, we never get this. We only get Fruit Loops once a year. I'm like, yeah, right. And the complaining. Or, or have you ever witnessed like the absolute meltdown in the aisle? And, you know, and, and if, that, if that parent that you're witnessing sticks to their guns and says no, and maybe even leaves their cart and, and takes the kids and just goes to the car, you're like, yes, you won. Good job. <laughs> but then there's those times where you hear that kind of thing or you've experienced that kind of thing, and you just, fine, eat the Fruit Loops. And you just, you know, you give in because you're just tired of the fighting, right? Shopping with kids is, can be crazy sometimes. I shop on usually Sunday evenings by myself. <laughs> then I can stick to the list. Every time I go shopping with my kids, I end up with like stuff in the cart that just wasn't on the list. But there you go. But kids... Shopping with kids is challenging. You know, there's certain things they want, or there's this toy they want, or this, it's, and it just never seems to be enough. There's always something more they want. And it's not that much different in our lives either, and we're going to see that today because in Exodus chapter 15, verse 22 to 17, 6, what we've got is basically God going shopping with his toddlers. You know, I brought you out of Egypt. I saved you. I rescued you. I answered your cries for help. I, the Red Sea parted, Pharaoh's gone, you're free, and now you're whining and complaining that it's not enough. The story of Exodus and the people of God, they've experienced tremendous things from God over this one to two year period. Plagues, Passover, God himself, but they're wanting more. Life just doesn't seem to be as good as it used to be, and if, if God would just come through differently, then, then maybe things would be better. And that's what this next two chapters is all about. We're going to just duck into to a couple passages here uh, from, from uh, chapter 16 and 17 here and just make some observations about this, this whole thing. The, the first one is Exodus 16, 2 to 5, and and I'm reading from the New Living Translation this morning for no other reason than when I created the slides and copied from my Bible software, I didn't change the default Bible. So it's New Living Translation this morning. Anyway, uh, let's stand and we'll, we'll read this first passage. There too, the whole community of Israel complained about Moses and Aaron. If only the Lord had killed us back in Egypt, they moaned. There we sat around pots filled with meat and ate all the bread we wanted. But now you've brought us into this wilderness to starve us to death. Then the Lord said to Moses, Look, I'm going to rain down food from heaven for you. Each day the people can go out and pick up as much food as they need for the day. 
I will test them in this to see whether or not they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they will gather food, and when they prepare it, there will be twice as much as usual. <laughs> so this is, this is God's word. You can have a seat. Word of the Lord. Well, look at that. Isn't, it, isn't that interesting? Just, just keep that verse up there for a moment. There we sat around pots filled with meat and ate all the bread we wanted. Oh, it was so good back in Egypt. Life is always better in the past, isn't it? The music today is horrible. The music I grew up with was the best. Right? Now we've got auto-tune and everything's got to be gridded to a, you know, nobody speeds up or slows down. They, they edit everything, you know. A singer can do 500 takes and they'll just take, oh, that word was sung well and this one was sung well and they cut and paste it together and it's never a real live performance anymore. Oh, the music was so better when I was a kid before all that stuff. Well, the issues of today are way worse than, than they were when I was a kid. Look at this verse again. There we sat around pots filled. It, like Egypt was better. You know, memory's a funny thing, isn't it? Because, like, we'll remember that we had lots to eat when we were hungry, but we'll forget that Pharaoh was throwing our kids into the river, that we were slaves, that, that, we, that we had no rights or freedoms, and life was dreadfully hard, and we were crying out to God for deliverance. But boy, it was so much better back then. We forget how desperately we were crying out for God for deliverance and rescue. We'd rather go back to living as slaves than trusting the God who has rescued us to provide for us. You know, when God calls us to himself, there's always a lot of unknowns. He calls us into an adventure and we're not sure where it's all going sometimes. Uh, if, if you've watched The Chosen uh, much at all, there's this one scene where, where uh, Peter and one of the other disciples are kind of going, I don't know what's going on. Where are we going? What are we doing? He's like, yeah, Jesus told me something about being a fisherman. I don't even know what that means. Like, and they're, they're not sure where they're going. They're not sure what the itinerary is. They're just, it's kind of like the people of God in the wilderness. They got to follow this cloud and this pillar and when it lifts up, they got to move. And when it settles, they set up camp. And they're not sure how long they're staying or where they're going next. You know, Matthew had to leave his tax booth. Peter, James, John, and Andrew had to leave their fishing careers and their family. Paul left everything, his place of prestige and power as a, as a high-level Pharisee. When God calls us to follow him, it means we're no longer in control of the destination or the timeline of our lives. Will we trust in the God to provide for us when we don't know where we're going or how we're going to get there? It's a matter of obedience. It's a matter of trust. It's a matter of asking whether or not we're going to believe that God is in control and that he deeply loves us and has our best in mind. Well, this first provision, Exodus 16, 2-5, the Lord's provision tests his people's obedience. The people complain and God provides. 
You know, I was thinking about this and I thought about that whole illustration of going shopping with your kids and it's like, God's almost like in, this, in these passages, God's that parent that you go, oh my goodness, you actually gave in. Because <laughs> they're like, oh, we're gonna die. Okay, I'm so hungry. Okay, here's food. Oh, we're gonna die. We have no water. Okay, here's water. Like, he's, he's the God who provides even when people are whining and complaining about it. But there's a test in this. He's testing his people's obedience. This is God's grace on display. God responds to complaining with blessing. That's shocking, isn't it? His blessing is, however, a test. Because there's specific instructions to follow, right? Food's coming and it's going to be abundant. It's going to satisfy your needs. But there are terms and conditions. And I don't know about you, but like... You know, the terms and conditions, scroll to the bottom, accept, move on with life, right? Because who's going to read all of that stuff? Look at, look at that again. The, in Exodus 16, 4-5, I put this in bold too. Then the Lord said to Moses, Look, I'm going to rain down food from heaven for you. Each day the people will go out and pick up as much food as they need for the day, I will test them in this to see whether or not they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day they will gather food, and when they prepare it, there will be twice as much as usual. These are the first commandments God gives to his people really after the Exodus, and, and he's talking about Sabbath and stuff, and that doesn't come until the Ten Commandments. And later on in this passage, he talks about how this manna kept kept. Uh, uh, appearing for the next 40 years until, until they arrived in the promised land. The e end of chapter 16 actually gives us this whole explanation from a very different perspective, a, a post-conquest perspective. Uh, Joshua, can't remember the chapter, 9 or 10, where the manna stops. And so we kind of get a bit of a preview about the importance of Sabbath and the provision that God has here. It, it seems a simple enough thing, right? Only gather what you need for the day, and you'll have enough. And then on day six, when you go out to gather, there will actually be twice as much. Oh, and by the way, if you gather enough and try to keep it for the next day, it's going to turn all maggoty and gross and rotten, except on day six, that, then it, it stays this is like God has provided, and God sees to it, and this is God's work, and this is God's miracle. It's not just stuff that you can do yourself. And on day seven, some people try to go out and collect, and it just doesn't work out. See, God promised provision for daily bread, and he's promising provision for the Sabbath. God is providing food, but he is testing his people's obedience to simple commands. How does this work out? Exodus 16, 13 to 16. That evening, vast numbers of quail flew in and covered the camp, and the next morning, the area around the camp was wet with dew, and when the dew evaporated, a flaky substance as fine as frost blanketed the ground. The Israelites were puzzled when they saw it. What is it? They asked each other. They had no idea what it was, and Moses told them, it is the food the Lord has given you to eat. These are the Lord's instructions. Each household shall gather as much as it needs. Pick up two quarts for each person in your tent. So the people of Israel did as they were told. Some gathered a lot, some only a little. 
But when they measured it out, everyone had just enough. Those who gathered a lot had nothing left over, and those who gathered only a little had enough. Each family had just what it needed. Then Moses told them, do not keep any of it until morning. But some of them didn't listen and kept some of it until morning. But by then it was full of maggots and had a terrible smell. Moses was very angry with them. Just keep going, jump down to verse 27. This is about the, the Sabbath day then. Some people went out on the seventh day, but they found no food. The Lord asked Moses, how long will these people refuse to obey my commands and instructions? They must realize that the Sabbath is the Lord's gift to you. That is why he gives you a two-day supply on the sixth day so that there will be enough for two days. On the Sabbath day, you must each stay in your place. Do not go out to pick up food on the seventh day. So the people did not go out to gather food on the seventh day. Second point, the Lord's provision continues despite his people's failings. His provision continues despite their failings. That's what, what, what's happening here? He's like, okay, here's the food, here's the instructions, and you're not following the instructions. And here's the food for the Sabbath day, and here's the instructions, and you're not following the instructions. I mean, this is human nature. I mean, if the last two years has taught us anything, it's that we hate rules. We hate being told what to do. But God provides simple commands, enough for a day, twice as much on the sixth, people fail miserably. They hear clear instructions, but choose to do things their own way. And there's natural consequences for this in this case. The food doesn't keep overnight except between day six and seven. You know, some things we only learn by experience, even when God himself gives us a clear instruction. We often have to learn the hard way. But notice that God continues to provide for his people despite their failings. And Israel will repeatedly, this is only one instance, repeatedly fail in their walk with God. Complaining here is just the tip of the iceberg. I mean, we've got the golden calf yet to come. And all sorts of other stuff for the next 40 years. But the reality is, is that this provision that God started here lasts for 40 years and only stops when the people of Israel are in the promised land. Think of all the failings along the way. And yet God continues to feed his people despite their failure. Joshua 5, 10 to 12 is where talks about the, the manna stopping. And how gracious is God to provide for our needs. Our failures and disobedience cannot outmatch his grace and love. And he provides it before the people have any instructions about it. He, he provides for us before you know, it's not, okay, they're obedient, now I'll feed them, and I'll just see if they're still going to be obedient. And I'll stop it. He doesn't, he doesn't pull it back. He keeps giving, and he keeps giving, and he keeps giving, despite how much and how often they fail.
God continues to supply our needs. But in meeting our needs, he invites us into a relationship with himself. There's, there's also this centrality of Sabbath here too. The Sabbath is my gift to you. It's a gift. God not only provides food, he provides rest, he provides Sabbath. Before any of the commandments, he provides for Sabbath, he provides rest. There's a rhythm to life that we are to observe, and and this is the first lesson that Israel has to learn. You have to learn how to stop working and slaving, because that's all they've done for 400 years, is be slaves, slaves, slaves. Here is my gift to you. It's a day where we're all going to rest and we're going to do it together and even God isn't going to do it. He's he's not going to provide manna that day. He's not going to provide quail that day. I did that the day before. This is a day we're going to rest together. Join the creator in the rhythm that he has created since the foundation of the world. Sabbath is sacred. We all need a day of rest, not just to stop working from our jobs, but to stop being busy and cluttered and noisy and overscheduled, which our culture is addicted to and celebrates and rewards. God is inviting people to enter into his rest, to join him in his rest as he rests. No manna, no quail, just staying together. And God continues to supply our needs, but in meeting these needs, he invites us into relationship with himself. He wants his people to celebrate being together with him in his rest. The Lord continues to provide despite his people's failings. Well, the people of Israel, here we are. They've gone through plagues, Passover, Red Sea crossing, provision of man and quail. Things should be sinking in, right? Chapter 17. So once more, the people complained against Moses. Give us water to drink, they demanded. Quiet, Moses replied. I, I, yeah, there, there, there's no expression in text, but I just imagine Moses at this point. He's like, really? We're at this again? Quiet. Why are you complaining against me, and why are you testing the Lord? But tormented by thirst, they continued to argue with Moses. Why did you bring us out of Egypt? Are you trying to kill us, our children, and our livestock with thirst? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, what am I going to do with these people? They're ready to stone me. Good day to be in leadership. The Lord said to Moses, walk out in front of the people, take your staff, the one you used when you struck the water of the Nile, and call some of the elders of Israel to join you. I will stand before you on the rock at Mount Sinai. Strike the rock and water will come gushing out. Then the people will be able to drink. So Moses struck the rock as he was told, and water gushed out as the elders looked on. Moses named the place Massah, which means test, and Meribah, which means arguing, because the people of Israel argued with Moses and tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord here with us or not? Notice this little detail. Moses did a lot of other stuff with the staff, but take the staff, the one you used when you struck the water of the Nile. Just keep that in your mind. The third point we're going to look at from here is that 
The Lord's provision is gracious in response to his people's demands. You know, so I guess they didn't quite figure it out. Manna, quail, yeah, okay, God's provided for that. It's a miraculous provision. Now we don't have any water. What are we going to do? We're going to die. They still had to learn that God graciously provides for his people over and over again. They demanded water. They test the Lord. They argue with Moses. What a fun family holiday they were on. Moses is pretty much done here, isn't he? He goes to God, not with the request. He's just like, I'm a, I'm, what am I going to do? I'm done. How does God respond? More provision. More provision. Can, can you believe it? He continues to provide. Even though they're demanding and testing. Look again carefully what God asks Moses to do in this situation. Exodus 17, 5 to 7. Look at this. The Lord said to Moses, walk out in front of the people. Take your staff, the one you used when you struck the water of the Nile. And call some of the elders of Israel to join you. I will stand before you on the rock at Mount Sinai. Or uh, there's like three different words for this. Um, Strike the rock and water will come gushing out. Then the people will be able to drink. I will stand before you on the rock. Strike the rock. With the staff that you struck the water of the Nile with. These things all connect. Throughout their hardship, the people of God were being tested, but they didn't admit their failures. Instead, they tested God. They blamed him for failing them. When there was overwhelming evidence of his love and provision and compassion, why does God say, I will stand before you on the rock? What is he doing? God would position himself between Moses and the rock and the staff, which Moses would use to strike the rock. What's being pictured? The staff that Moses used to part the sea to to enact the judgments of God against Egypt was the staff which would strike the rock on which Yahweh himself was standing. Strike me. It was a visualization of an act of judgment that God was taking on himself. Moses took the instrument that visited blood and death upon the Egyptians and used it upon the rock of God so the Israelites might live, receiving life-giving water from the source of living water. Jesus says, Come to me, all you who thirst, and I will give you living water. John chapter 7. Come to me, Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. I am the true bread come down from heaven. I am the true water that you need. John chapter 7 and 6 and 1 Corinthians 10, 1 to 5, Paul makes a connection with this story in relation to Jesus Christ. For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. 
for they drank from the spiritual rock which followed them, and the rock was Christ. And the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. They all drank the same spiritual drink. They drank from the spiritual rock that followed them. The rock was Christ. Strike the rock upon which I stand. Hunger and thirst in the wilderness were miraculously provided for by God for the physical needs of his people. But the hunger and thirst that was real, and they they needed food and water, but the real need, the real issue, however, was how far were they willing to trust God to provide? God's provision was gracious, compassionate, and complete. With the deep hunger and thirst in every person's life, then and now, is to enter the rest and the restoration of God. The deeper hunger and thirst is that is in everyone, is a need to be cared for by our Creator. The deeper hunger and thirst in everyone is provided for by the rock that was struck, the body that was broken, the blood that was spilled at the cross of Jesus Christ. The rock was Christ. Provision fully made by Jesus Christ, living water provided by the indwelling Holy Spirit, freedom from the oppression and slavery of our past lives, even when we think the past was better. Jesus said, whoever comes to me shall not go hungry, and whoever believes in me shall not thirst. Going back to the comfortable and the predictable will always leave you hungry and thirsty and enslaved. Coming to Jesus not only satisfies our deepest hunger and thirst, but invites us into his rest. Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Real rest. Where your soul is refreshed. Can't be found in a holiday, a day off, or anything this world offers as an escape from the everyday stuff of life. Rest. Real rest. Soul-nourishing rest is only found when we stop trying and come to Jesus for his provision of rest. The Sabbath is a gift for you. It's not simply a day off. It's about Jesus providing what we really need in our hearts and our lives that we can never provide for ourselves. Apart from Jesus, we are starving in the desert. We are parched and dehydrated and dying of thirst in the wilderness. Jesus is the living bread come down from heaven. He is the living water. He is the living Sabbath. Well, 2021 was another hard year. In many years, it was harder than 2020. But I want you to, as we wrap this up today, think with our heads, what reasons do you have for trusting God even when your circumstances tempt you to grumble? I mean, here's here's a people of God, called by God, they've gone through all this stuff, all these massive, saving, miraculous events, and still, what are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? 
What are we going to wear? Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. All these things will be given to you as well. Matthew chapter 6. What are you thankful for this past year? How has God provided and proved himself over and over in his faithfulness to you? Remember, God provides graciously for us even when we complain and fail. His provision is all around us. His loving care is proven time and time again. Find time this week to reflect and celebrate God's commitment to provide for you. A heart attitude. How does your attitude toward God need to change so you will worship him instead of complain? Well, God's people don't often realize it, but complaining and grumbling reveals our real attitude towards God himself. Are we really trusting God or are we wanting him to do things for us so that we can be happy and things can stay unchanged? When you're in one of those moods where all you want to do is complain and grumble and gripe, reflect on what you're really disappointed about. Ask yourself, what are you not believing about God's provision for you in Jesus Christ and how the good news, the gospel of God's provision in Jesus addresses the circumstances you're facing? Then instead of complaining and grumbling and posting it all on social media, sing a song of worship for God's amazing grace and choose gratitude over grumbling. And what do we do with this? What can we tangibly do? Hands. With whom will you share the Lord's kindness through practical service and the good news of our gracious Savior, Jesus Christ? Practical service. You know, sometimes we complain and grumble because we're only concerned about ourselves. It's a whole lot harder to complain and whine and grumble when we're serving other people. Consider what Paul urged the Corinthian church to do in response to God's grace and his provision for them. 2 Corinthians 8, 13 to 15 says, Of course, I don't mean that your giving should make life easy for others and hard for yourselves. I only mean that there should be some equity. Right now, you have plenty. You can help those who are in need. Later, they will have plenty and you can share with, and they can share with you when you need it. In this way, things will be equal. As the scripture says, those who gathered a lot had nothing left over and those who gathered only a little had enough. Again, he's tying this right back to this story in Exodus. You know, if God's blessed you, he's done it for a purpose. Bless others with it. If God has been gracious to you and you've experienced a deep freedom and joy in life, share that with others because they need it. God's provision tested his people's obedience, and it always does. And we'll read that in Deuteronomy. When you get to the land and everything's great and you're eating food and your houses are awesome and, and you've, all your enemies are vanquished, be careful <laughs> that you don't say, I've done this all myself, or that I've, done, I've, made, I've made my life awesome. It's because of God's provision. His provision tests his people's obedience. His provision continues despite people's failings. And God's provision is gracious in response to his people's demands. Let's pray.
Lord Jesus, thank you for providing the true bread from heaven, the true living water, the true rest that our souls desperately need. You have given us yourself. Emmanuel, God with us, the Word made flesh, Jesus. Jesus simply says to you this morning, come to me for the bread you need, the water you seek, and the rest you need. John's final invitation in Revelation 22.17 said, The Spirit and the Bride say, Come. And the one who hears say, Come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. Lord, I pray that our hearts would turn to you wherever we're at. And Lord, may we come to you because it's, your provision is so, so wonderful and abundant. Think of the short illustration Jesus gave. If, would you give your child a snake if he asked for bread or a stone? Oh, you know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your heavenly Father lavish his grace and his gifts on you? Father, help us to come to you. Help us to lay aside the grumbling, the complaining. Help us to be grateful people. And most of all, help us to find our rest in you. That we would center our hearts and our souls on you and that the, the deepest longings of our hearts, Lord Jesus, they can only be met when we walk with you, when we lay down our agenda and take up yours and trust you for the provision along the way because we don't necessarily know where we're going or how we're getting there, but you are the lead. And so, Lord, our lives are in your hands. Help us to trust you and walk in obedience and to be children who trust the unfailing, never-changing, radical love of the God who saves us, redeems us, restores us, provides for us, and goes before us. Lord, thank you for this coming year. May we as your people follow you with great joy. And may we open our eyes to see what you're going to do, how you're going to provide, how you're going to overwhelm us with your presence and the good things that you have for us. Thank you, Lord Jesus. May we come to you every day for all that we need and find our rest in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We'll stand for the benediction. Psalm 103, verses 6 to 12.
The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. Amen.